Hello, welcome to Bible Marathon and it's dinner time. The word of God we believe is the best sustenance for the spirit, which is why we are taking our time to study and dine on the word of God. So, join us at the table for word dinner. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your patience and kindness towards us. It's because you waited, because you stepped in, and now we see the result of your patience, your long-suffering, um, many grafted in. Thank you, Father, for your good work on the cross, the work that has given us a story to tell. Uh, we are mesmerized when we see the beauty of your plan. Help us to see it even better. And Lord, as we study this evening or afternoon, depending on where we are, we see your word clearly revealed. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Because we're not going to have too much time, I'm going to just go right up to where we've been. We already know the whole story. And um, we are now in Romans 11, right? We've gone through Romans 11 a whole lot. And we've got to the point where it's like, why is there that consistent repetition? Hi, Dara. Welcome. Why is there that constant repetition, you know? in just thinking through what Paul is trying to say. And that's because it's a, it's a hard portion from Romans 9 all the way to Romans 11. It's such a hard portion to really grasp and, and understand fully because it brings in something we're not very conversant with, right? If you're a Gentile, you don't really know so much about the Jews except what you've studied or known about from the scriptures, right? So when Paul goes into this discussion about the interesting um thing god is planning with the jews it's like okay i'm not getting this but let's kind of look at what we've said so far in romans 11 and then bring it to a conclusion so paul starts with the question like we already saw he was asking did god reject his people because it looks like it doesn't it that the jews who are supposed to be the ones jesus came through the one sorry is the screen blinking or it's just me the screen i'm sharing is it blinking let me share okay Hopefully this doesn't... Is it good? Yeah. Okay. And so the people that God actually chose to bring about his salvation plan. He started with Abraham, then Isaac. We've seen the whole journey from the book of Romans chapter from chapter 9. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And now we have the 12 tribes of Israel. And within that, we still see that selection that keeps going on until we come to Christ, the Messiah. And it just seems like What's going on? These people are supposed to be the ones embracing Christ because Christ was even, I mean, biologically in their lineage. Why are they rejecting him? It just didn't make any sense. So so Paul has to explain that because it just looks like God is failing at his plan, right? If he promised Abraham, this is what Abraham is going to have and receive, but it's not happening. Then God, we can say God is unfaithful. That's the whole argument here. Because think about the implications. If God neglected Israel after he had promised that he will bless them, then we are in danger, right? The Gentiles are in danger. Who gets that? We're really in danger because if God cannot keep to his promises with Israel, then we're in trouble. What if God decides to change his mind tomorrow? So Paul has to clearly show us that God has not really changed his mind about Israel. Israel was the nation he loved. He still loves them and has a plan. And that's what Paul is trying to show us. So 
that's the whole conversation. So he said, did God reject his people? No. One of the proofs that God did not reject his people was that God chose unilaterally and supernaturally the apostle Paul from the Jews. In other words, he kept him from unbelief. The way the, everyone was going towards unbelief, somehow Paul was one of the people that stands out as being uniquely elect to preach the gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles, right? So we saw all of this where people were saying God must have rejected his people because God is not dealing with the Israelites anymore. Like, think about it, guys. The whole Bible is filled with Israel's story, isn't it? And then all of a sudden, where is Israel? It seems like they're not the ones with the prophetic focus anymore. But they are. They are. And if you look at the scripture on the screen, verse 3 was talking about the idea that if God has really forsaken Israel, then there's really no other person, right? But then he appeals to a text in the Old Testament. They've killed your prophets. That's what Elijah was saying. I'm the only one alive. And then what did God respond? He said, I have preserved for myself 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. And so there is a remnant. And we talked about who the remnant is, right? The remnant by grace is the people who did not stay in unbelief amongst the So God preserved some people who did not bow to Baal in a sense. So the, the elect believed, but the others were hardened because they chose to be. It's not like God hardened their hearts. They chose to be hardened. But because of God's love for the people of Israel and his promises, he had to preserve them. So they are blind. We saw all those scriptures that when they, see this, uh, when they see Jesus Christ, they just can't see him as the Messiah, the one sent by God. They stumble at that knowledge. But then... Paul comes and says, did they stumble to fall beyond recovery? Is, it, is this the end for the Jews? He says, no, it's not. Because of their transgression, God is doing something big. And who can tell me what God is doing through the rebellion of the Jews? Real quick. The rebellion, the consistent rebellion of the Jews. What is God doing through it? Feedback, guys. Feedback. Tell me, tell me. Someone should tell me. In the chat, unmute yourself, whatever. What is God doing? What did God decide to do through the rebellion of the Jews, the rejection of Christ that most of the Jews were deep in. It gave the, it gave the Gentiles a chance. Be, uh, yeah, a you chance. can say it that way. Beautiful. Thank you for speaking. I don't know. All of a sudden, you guys have grown super quiet. Is it? Am I boring? What's going on? Are you learning stuff? It's so important that I get feedback. I need to know that you're following. But this is just a recap. So thank you for that goodness. There is a plan. Where God says, your rebellion will not mess up the whole entire plan that I have to save you. I want to save Israel, but I'm going to use your hardness for a time to bring in as many Gentiles as possible. And that's what happens. And that's what's happening right now, by the way. If you're wondering where are we in human history or in biblical history, this is the time where God, in, in his wisdom, is using the rebellion of the Jews who are still saying, Jesus is not the Messiah. They're still waiting for a Messiah to come or they're giving up on that whole belief system. Well, God has been working tirelessly with the Gentiles, which is what we see today. There's no one on this call that is a Jew by birth. You know, I don't think there is. In fact, there's, <laughs> I was not going to bring this up before, but there's a whole movement right now. They're called the Black Hebrew Israelites. And they are very notorious for teaching that the black people, the black race, is actually Israel. That there was a change in their 
nationality over the course of many years and that they were shipped, you know, from they were taken by ships from their from different places, taken as captive and slaves. And basically they just go ahead and purport that um black people are the actual Jews. And so they are very notorious for teaching you must keep the law of Moses. Some of you encountered them. I was on a um call recently on um Clubhouse and I was in their room because I saw another member of my church there. I was like, I hope this person is safe. And then the person was kind of like in, in danger in a sense because we're tackling her. So I took over and was asking questions and it became very clear that these people had an agenda. Um, but I'm saying all that to say that the real Israel, if you come across those people, the real Israel is not black people, all right? It's not um, Hispanics or Latinos or anyone who has been... Um, badly oppressed that's not what the bible teaches and there's no way you can prove that scripturally that black people are israel right the israelites are the israelites amen they're the people who are there that were gathered back in 1945 from different places around the world they're jews all right um but yeah basically the whole idea is that they are they were falling away they were sinning they were turning away from god and so if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much more greater would their fullness bring? That's just Paul saying, just look at how God is using their rebellion to bring the Gentiles. Now, when they receive it, just imagine how powerful that would be for the whole world. Meaning God's plan is always and has always been to save humanity. Let no one teach you that God is only choosing some. God wants to save all, but we have a choice and God will not go against that choice on a global scale. He cannot just make all of us robots to bow and respond to his, to his love. He would want you to make that choice and make that decision. But if you harden your heart, then that's the problem, right? And so in a sense, Paul was, not in a sense, clearly was going up teaching clearly, carefully and, and passionately that, hey, I beseech you, be reconciled to God, like believe, believe, right? And he talked about how, we, the Gentiles, are grafted in. So we're, in this, we're not really the ones um, that had the heritage from the start. The Jews were the ones that had the law. The law was not given to anyone else. They were the ones that had the law, the oracles, everything. They experienced God. That's why when you read the, new, the Bible, the Bible is very biased towards Israel. You, have you ever wondered why the Bible is biased to one nation? That's God's nation, right? Till today, it hasn't changed. But God in, God, in his infinite wisdom, loves the Gentiles still and is bringing them in. But you need to realize we are grafted in. We are not the original recipients of that plan. So that's what this looks like. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in and you now share in the same privileges, which I would say the roots here would represent um, the, the ancient fathers abraham isaac jacob their roots the, the the you know all that they give to, all, all that they have and have had with their relationship with god and the benefits that came out of that by faith it says if you were not a part of that and the ones who rebelled were broken off and you were grafted in don't become boastful don't think you are very special that you were brought in because a lot of people were at that time having pride issues you know don't think that you support the roots. They came before you is what he's trying to say. Um, you will say that branches were broken off, you know, that I could be grafted in. That may be your response. And Paul says, yes, granted, 
absolutely but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith so don't be arrogant right so we saw all of this and then we came to this point where we saw you know a warning basically that if as a nation or as nations that you are gentiles reject the gospel just the way the jews are rejecting the gospel then don't expect to be part of this plan you know in its fulfillment all right so someone said god loves us the same but because of his choice of israel to bring about salvation they received yeah god's plan for israel was special there's no way you can there's no other way you can interpret the bible without seeing that god has always had special love for israel why he chose them and he wanted to have a people Okay, that's in response to Banker's question. Yeah, he always wanted to have a people that he would express his kindness and love to um, uniquely. And, and you need to realize that God did not even have a... Res- he did not have to do this. Because when you ask this question, it shows that... Or it, 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 it almost seems like, oh, why is God just choosing people randomly? That's not the case. God chose Adam to love. By choosing, by choosing Adam right in the real sense he was choosing the world because he created adam because he wanted to express his love he wanted them to live and function like him right they were going to be in his image but they broke god's command they lost that privilege really like they they, they stepped out of god's divine plan to have that full fellowship with man so god could have just ended everything like, you need to realize that God had that choice. God could have just said, I'm, I'm not doing again with this. But God wanted to restore them. But in restoring, God will always start his restoration plan with one person. God doesn't just pick the multitude. He starts with one. When he wanted to create the universe, right, he started with one word. Let there be light. When he wanted to create the whole human race, what does he start with? One man. And then all of us are existing because of that one man you get. So God always starts with something and allows that to expand. So of all the nations, if he's going to redeem all the nations, he has to choose a specific nation through which he will pass that plan to the world. But that nation did not accept him, which is weird. Like every time men men and women around the world have been notorious for just rejecting the love of God. And it's something we just see in history and we see it in our lives sometimes where we, we see the love of God, but we feel we're too beneath the love of God or sometimes too above the love of God. And God still remains the same, always trying to reach out. So Paul is saying, Gentiles, God has been showing this unique love to the Jews, but you are now a part of that. It is now your time. That's a better way to put it. The dispensation of the time for the Gentiles has now come. And God could have done it any other way. But because the Jews were rebellious, God used their rebellion to bring about that. So that's what the Bible is. All right. Now let's go to the end. We talked about this as well. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, that, so that you may not be conceited, so you don't get proud or you don't get haughty, that Israel has experienced a partial hardening until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And I explained this last week. All right, so some people were exempted from this hardening for the sake of everyone so that the full number of the Gentiles will come in. Now, when that happens, ultimately, God is not going to renege on his plan or go back on his ultimate goal to save mankind. So he will still save Israel. And I told you when he says all Israel will be saved, which is what you see on the screen, he's not saying 
every single Israeli or Israelite will be saved. He's saying as a nation, they will turn from saying Jesus is not the Messiah to Jesus is the Messiah. Like as a nation, they will accept the Lordship of Jesus Christ because the prophecy is there, right? He will, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will come from them, but he will also turn them away from godlessness, all right? And in a sense, godlessness is rejecting God, all right? Which is what they've done by rejecting his son. And then, um, I love this verse. We talked about it as well. It says, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. In simple English, when it comes to the gospel, we see the Jews attacking, you know, other Jews, attacking Christians. We see they are always in opposition to God's plan in redemption because they are not accepting Jesus. So he says, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies. They are persecuting. They are killing. They are putting you in prison. That's exactly what happened in Paul's ministry, right? But as far as the election is concerned, as far as God's choice is concerned, they are loved. Why are they still loved, even though they are your enemies? It says, on account of the patriarchs, meaning the fathers of faith, Abraham, Isaac, God promised them, and he doesn't change his mind on his promises. So because he promised them, he will love that's the, that's the idea here. So if, the, if, the, if, if he gave a promise, he doesn't go back on his promise, which is what the next verse talks about. Romans eleven twenty nine. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. It doesn't change. If God says, I've chosen Israel, it will be Israel, regardless of how they behave, regardless of how they act. And, but you may be wondering, is this not like determinism, where God is for making things happen? No. Watch the history of humanity god just always prize and you know pushes us towards faith but he never forces us that decision is still yours to make and um but as a nation god is going to supernaturally use the Jew, the gentile nations that are coming in, in in leaps and in bounds and in great amounts to to in a sense make the jews jealous and cause them to see what they've been missing all this that their own holy scriptures that they thought would give life was pointing to the Messiah. And the Gentiles are enjoying that benefit. They are missing out on it, right? So, and then he now talks about us, that just as us Gentiles who were once at one time disobedient to God, we've now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. That's, oh my God, this is mind-blowing. We've been, we've been brought in because of their disobedience. So, God has had mercy on us and he has used their disobedience as a tool to do that. And that just shows you the, the, the limitless power of God. You would expect God will use the acceptance of people. But if God can use the rebellion too for his own plan, then there's nothing beyond him. That's the God you want to serve, right? It says, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too might now receive mercy as a result of god's mercy to you oh my god i need to you guys should write this down meditate on it take a screenshot whatever and just look at the beauty of this just look at the beauty i'm going to read it again just as you who were one at one time disobedient to god have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience so they too the jews have now become disobedient in order that they too the same people jews may now receive mercy. How would they receive mercy? 
as a result of God's mercy to you, the Gentiles. So when you receive the gospel and we see the spread of the power of God, the, the display of his, his power, the display of his love in the lives of the Gentile nations, the Jews will be like, wow, that is our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that we've rejected. And we are seeing the fulfillment of everything the Lord, the prophet spoke about in this Christ that they worship. And so we will turn and come back. And so God will use that ultimately to bring about his salvific plan. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. And that's Paul's summary of everything. So at the end of the day, this is just him breaking down the, the, the process. But at the end of the day, what, what matters to us? God wants all men saved, right? So if you've been lost in the whole journey from Romans 9 to Romans 11, the summary is God wants all men saved and he will use anything and everything. And so what does Paul end or almost end his treatise with? A doxology, a praise psalm and worship to God. He says, all the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable, meaning how unresearchable, right? Because when you think about the word unsearchable, it's talking about there's no amount of research you could do to find his judgment. And his paths are beyond tracing out. You cannot predict his paths, his plan. You can look at it and wonder how it's unfolding, but God has revealed it supernaturally to the apostle to see this is what he's planning in history by unveiling what scriptures meant. Let me show you what this verse looks like in um, verse 33 in, in the message. Look at this. It says, Have you ever come on anything quite like this? Extravagant generosity of God. This deep, deep wisdom. It's way over our heads. We will never figure it out. Powerful stuff. Praise the name of Jesus. And so he goes on. He's not done. He's like, ah. he now starts talking like... um. Like Job, because I think he's remembering the writings of Job in this. He's like, because Job too, after God had, you know, explained everything to him, because he was, he thought he was wise. He thought he was smart. Like, why is all this thing, why are all these things happening to me? And he's talking with all his friends. And at the end of the day, he challenges God and God responds. And after God responds, Job is like, is there anyone around who can explain God? Literally what you're seeing on the screen. Let me go back to NKJ. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Like, who is giving God counseling sessions? Who is, the, who is that person who is giving God ideas on how to rule his creation or his world? That's what he's saying. Like, who has known the mind of God? If he doesn't reveal it to you, how would you know it? What, what a revelation. He said, or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. And then he says this most beautiful way to wrap up his his exhortation and doxology so far he says for to for of him meaning everything is of him it comes from him we already know this from the beginning right in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god and that word became flesh it was through christ all things exist or existed god created all things nothing was made you know without him so of him and then through him meaning the, everything God wants to do or plan in his universe or in his world is still through Christ. Salvation is through Christ. Creation is through Christ. Redemption is through Christ. Like, you, you see, so through him, the Greek word there will be dia, like, like a pipe in a sense. 
and to him. That means ultimately when all is said and done, all the glory goes back to him. Jesus will receive the glory. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, right, from verse 9, just talks about how all knees will bow in heaven and on earth to Christ. Every knee. Some willfully, some by force. <laughs> Amen. It will happen at the end of the day. Um, people will willfully surrender. Some will have to surrender. They don't have a choice. God is God over all. Jesus is Lord over all. So he says, For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Wow. Glory to God. Just, just clap if you can, whoever you are. That's just a beautiful way to wrap this up. Actually, psych, because that's not the end. You need to remember that when you read the scriptures, it's very easy to finish a chapter and feel like, yes, you've, you've finished the chapter. But do you feel that way when you read novels? I mean, sometimes you want to continue because you know it's one story, right, that's being told, but it's divided into chapters so that there's measurable ways to read it. Same thing with movies and shows, right? You watch one episode, there's a cliffhanger, and then you're like, what's the next episode? You need to understand, <laughs> it's a K-drama. You need to realize that's the same thing Paul is doing here, that he's writing a letter and initially when you read it you may think it's chapter one chapter two chapter three paul is just writing the romance the letter to the romance that's what he's writing so there is no stop there is no you know pause whatever it's just a flow of thought so everything from romans one all the way to romans 11 has been one thought this is the first place we actually see paul switching a little bit still in the same line of thought but he's switching up now when he enters chapter 12. So we're entering chapter 12 right now. And you see, we're halfway into the time. This is God helping me, guys. God is actually helping me. So let's pause and breathe. And I think as we are breathing and just resting, just thank God for his wonderful plan. He, it could have gone any other way and you couldn't question him, but you're a part of his plan. God did not close his eyes to the Gentiles. You need to realize the Gentiles deserved destruction. All right. But God opened his heart to them, which is us. The Jews thought getting to God was just a, a factor or a result of being born of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's seed, like being in their lineage. But the whole first part of Romans to say, nope, we're all guilty. Don't think that your, your nationality has anything to do with your acceptance with God. It's by faith, through faith, from first to last. That's the whole story of Romans from 1 to 11. So what does Paul do? He takes us further and he starts with this beautiful text. And I want to read it once and then go one after the other to explain. I'm, I'm basically not going to get past Romans chapter 12 verse 2 today because the first two verses are so packed. Oh my God. They are so packed that literally could be a whole month but i'm going to try to just show you things here that you might not have seen hopefully you've seen it but if you haven't seen it let this let this blow your mind and let this even make you worship god even more remember the purpose of studying scripture is to help you worship god better when you study scripture it's not just head knowledge if your worship of god does not improve by the knowledge of god you have something is wrong there's a chain issue there's a link problem all right you know, your, your life should be a reflection of what you know. And what you know many times comes from what you read, 
what you hear, what you listen. And so don't let your life be like a broken link. You guys know what the broken link is. You are going on this website and you click on the link and it says page not found. Don't let your life look like that. Let there be a correlation. You click a link and it shows something that is beneficial. So let's continue with that link here. Paul finishes Romans 1 to 11 on a very powerful note. He's like, here is the gospel really. You cannot be saved by your works. You, are, you, are, you deserve destruction. You deserve to be separated from God. But God in his love sent Jesus who came and bore the punishment of our sins and now is risen, declared, glorified. Now he can bring us to him. Romans 5, we have peace with God. Now we can walk in the light. We can walk in the spirit. Romans 8, like things have changed for us. So when we come to Romans 12 from verse 1, Paul is basically starting with the word therefore. In the actual Greek, it starts with therefore. It's just English has to be, you know, it's rearranged so that we can understand it in grammatic, in, you know, English grammar, right? The language was originally in the in Greek. So he says, I beseech you. What's the word beseech? What do you guys think? Some translations will make it very easy and say, beg, right, exactly. Thank you. Plead, to beg, to, it's like a jaw, you know, in Yoruba. Like, you're really just saying, this is me pleading with you. So I want you to just think about why Paul has to plead. (laughs) Why? I think that will be answered as we read Romans 12 further. But then the key word here is therefore. So, when you, hear, when you see the word therefore, what should come to your mind? If I start a sentence with therefore. It means like as a consequence of something. Beautiful, right? So if, if there is nothing before it, why would I say therefore? In fact, someone beautifully puts it this way. Um, when you see the word therefore, you should ask what is it therefore? <laughs> you know, playing, playing with the words. But it just means there's something before, prior to what I'm about to say, based on these things. So he's saying, I beg you based on these things, based on everything I have said and taught. Now, that would be enough. But he goes on to say, by the mercies of God. My question now is, what are the mercies of God? Everything he has described. Let me summarize the mercies of God. You were born in sin and trespasses. I'm going, you notice that a lot of the time we'll just keep going back to the beginning to understand what Paul is trying to say. He goes back to the very beginning, you know, in Romans chapter 1 to verse 3 and uh, to chapter 3. The problem of sin everyone is guilty before God. We deserve destruction, damnation, rightfully so. So, what is the mercy or the mercies that he's talking about? We're about to see them. God has, right from Romans chapter 3, right? We know the, what we all have seen and are falling short of the glory of God, but we are all freely justified by his grace. Romans chapter 3 from verse 23 to 25 thereabouts, even to the end of Romans 20, uh, chapter 3. It's all this powerful teaching of God has justified us freely by faith. We all deserve destruction. God has given us freely righteousness, right standing with him. That's one mercy of God. Now, that's enough, right? To be right, to have right standing with God is good enough. But that's not where it stops. He now gives us adoption. So it's one thing to say, I forgive you. Come and be my, um, you know, cleaner in my house, right? <laughs> I mean, that's still a level of mercy. If somebody has done wrong, they don't have a job outside, and somehow I'm just, I feel pity for the person. I say, okay, you know, you stole a lot from me. 
and you've done all these bad things, but I forgive you. And I know you don't have a job. Just come and work as my, you know, um, cleaner or cook in my house. And maybe even because I'm a nice person, I'll pay you some some stipend you just just to be able to take care of your family. Now, someone will look at me and say, oh, he's such a merciful person. Like, look at what this guy did. He stole everything, but now he's showing him, like, kindness and love and all of that. But is that what God did to us? If God did that to us, that would still be cool because... I mean, <laughs> shiny shoe is better than, than dancing in the lake of fire, you know, <laughs> just, just symbolically speaking. But like, just think about that. That was God's mercy. That would have been enough. But God doesn't stop there. God now says, you're not only going to have right standing with, you're going to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. You're going to be part of the adoption. Like I'm literally going to adopt you as a son and a daughter. Ha. And not only that, not only will I just, you know, adopt you, but I will give you what Jesus had, my spirit. I will put the Holy Spirit within you. Hey, that's not all. I will assure you of your salvation. I will make sure that there is something that assures you of your, like guarantees you of your protection in Christ. Not only that, when you don't know what to, to pray as you ought, the spirit will help you. And not only that, Jesus will be interceding for you. Not only that... You will have the church. You will have the 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 the, um, the gathering of other believers to 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 edify you. Not only that, you have been you you were grafted in, like you have been brought into what you did not deserve. Like everything, as you just keep going through the book of Romans, and you just marvel at the mercies of God, like how He brought us from being recipients of damnation to being the exact opposite. Like we are we are. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Hey, guys. So Paul is like, ah, based on everything, based on these mercies of God, now I have something for you. I ask you to present your body. Now, let's pause again. God wants you to do something with your will. All right, that's what we see here. Paul is saying, your, use your will, your ability to choose and decide. You that have put your faith in Christ, you that have seen the mercies of God, do something with your will. What is that? Present. It's something active. And I think a lot of Christians have missed this because you just wonder why things are not happening automatically in your, in your life. Like, okay, I'm a Christian, but I don't know. I'm not praying. I'm not studying the word. I'm not, it, does, it seems like I'm not growing. Nothing's working in my life. And Paul is going to call you and say, I, I don't get it because it's not automatic. Now, God's work in you is automatic, meaning his salvation, his continued assurance of his work in you, right? He's there making, bearing witness with your spirit that you belong to God. He's always doing that. He hasn't changed. But when it comes to your responsibility to grasp and enjoy the fullness of what he, all these mercies entail, you have a part to play. And that's what Paul is saying. That's why he's begging you. He wouldn't beg you if you didn't have a part to play in this. God has done his part. Now it's your part. Now your part is not to um, receive the mercy of God. No, it is in view of the mercies of God. Do you, who gets what I'm saying? Your response is based on God's act, not to make God do something. All right? It's, it's, it's a profound mystery. Because what most of us think is, oh, do this, 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 and then God will be... But God starts from the end. 
It's like he gives all of us A's and says, come to class. Now, some people will think about what I just said now and say, ah, okay, well, I have A in this course. I'm just going to sleep and watch K-drama and just stay at home. But the true believer wouldn't respond like that. The, the true believer is going to say, wow, I didn't have to work for this. Now I have an A plus in this course. Well, I'm going to spend my life enjoying the process because I'm not afraid of the end. I might as well experience everything that comes with having an A. And it's almost like that in, this, in the Christian world. God wants you to start from the end in mind. God wants you to start from the victory that you have. Jesus himself said, this is the, I mean, just John, this is the victory. Actually, it's Jesus. I'm mixing everything up now. John 10. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Is it John? It's Shad John, one of the books of John. All right. <laughs> you know, you know, our faith is what has overcome the world. We've received victory because of our faith, not by anything we've done. Normally, when you think of victory, it's about battle. You go to war with your elements and your implements and everything, and you're beating, and you say, yes, I had victory by my warfare. But the Bible says, no, your victory, your overcoming is by faith. That changes the, sto- the, the, the whole um, uh, story, right? Thank you. First John, right? And it's in probably like chapter 5 or something like that. Man, I need, to, I need to brush up on First John. It's been a while. Yeah, 5 verse 4. Thank you. All right, let's proceed. So present your bodies. Now, when we say bodies, we don't mean ara, just, just the body. This word actually means all of you. So it's all of you is represented by your body. Is there any human being today that is moving around without a body? Like the whole idea of a human being is that all of you is encompassed or is restricted by your physical body. Right? Even all these people that want to do, um, you know, I'm going into the universe and new age, all of that stuff. The truth is it's still happening in the brain. <laughs> it's not living. There's nothing outside. The human body is this body. And so Paul is really saying, present yourselves. That's what some translation would even say. Present yourselves, your whole self. That's what it means by your body. But here's one thing that you may skip over. How many of you have seen this verse before? I think everyone has seen this verse. Romans 12, 1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. But many people don't get it. And I need to help you get it now, you know, because remember, I've always said this. Scriptures have a cultural and historical context. Paul did not just say this randomly. He was appealing to something that he understood by experience. So when we say living sacrifice, who can tell me what Paul is thinking about when he says a living sacrifice? I need a quick response because time is running out and I'm trying to not go beyond time today. What is a living sacrifice? Anybody? Okay, let me make it easy. What is a sacrifice? If you're Nigerian, it shouldn't be too far from your mind, even though it may not be exactly accurate. But when we say sacrifice, what, what comes to your mind? Ritual. Rituals, okay, right. What kind of rituals? Okay, of, offered to God. Money. Okay. Money. money. You said money. I ah. Come again. Something offered to a date. Right. Thank you. That's beautiful. So something offered to a deity. If you've watched Nollywood, say, bring the sacrifice. And you see someone with white uh, chalk. Bring the, uh, the sacrifice. And they put it out there and something like that. Now, historically, for those of you that don't know the history of the Jewish 
practices. You need to realize that from time immemorial, sacrifices have been a thing. Right from Genesis. How many of you know the story of Cain and Abel offering sacrifices to God? What did you think they were doing? They were bringing things that they had, bringing it and offering it on an altar. When we say altar today, that's a misnomer. There is no altar today, as we, <laughs> except you are worshipping an idol. There is no altar today. The altar represented a place where sacrifices were offered. So when we say the altar, pastor is preaching on the altar, that's wrong. We're actually supposed to say something like he's preaching on a pulpit or on a stage or on a stand. That place he's standing is not the altar. There's nothing special about that place. I remember when I was growing up, if I mistakenly touch that, they used to say his altar is so sacred. If I mistakenly go near the um, pulpit, which was called altar, I was so afraid that, oh my God, God can just strike me dead, right? I don't know why they would do that to a young child and scar him for, for a very long time. But as I studied, I realized altars, altars are very bloody places. Eh? Women were not allowed to climb there in my home church. Wow. <laughs> it is well. God will help us. You know, here, they say pastor makes an altar call, like come to the altar, you know. But I'm, I'm thankful that people are growing in their understanding, their learning, and um, um, getting to learn a whole lot of stuff. So the reality is that when we talk about sacrifice, go back to the beginning. Yes, thank you. The day is getting in here. So sacrifices are made on altars. So you see an altar, imagine like, you know, firewood and all of those things placed together. And then there is a surface where you put an animal or in Cain's situation, he brought crops, which are not supposed to be on an altar. But that's for another day. We'll talk about that. So you bring something to that altar because you want to fry. You want to see how many of you have done barbecue before? That's literally what the altar looked like. Just or maybe suya spot, but on a grand scale with a sacred purpose in mind. So thank you, Asun. So you know, when you go to that place, they let me just paint the picture. What they did in the Jewish culture, especially under the law, is oh, we have sinned. Um, so Juicy was right in the lyrics of his song when he said, Leave me at the altar with my father, right? The place of sacrifice. So you understood what he was saying. You know, all these people that sing songs, you have to listen to them carefully. You understand that when they say some things, they are saying it based on revelation or by reading scripture and understanding it. Um, so nice catch. So when we, say sa- uh, when we say sacrifice, we're talking, let me just quickly get through this because of time. In the olden days or in the days of the Bible, in the days of the Hebrew, um, the, the Israelites and those people then, if they did anything wrong, the law said... Every year, they're supposed to bring an animal. Now, there are different kinds of offerings and sacrifices. But every year, one of the offerings they were to bring was a burnt offering. Now, they would take the la- an animal, a clean, spotless ram amongst their flock. So it has to be the best. It must not have any injuries or anything that can make it blemish. A blemish. Uh, um, it must not have any blemish. I don't know what is happening to my English today. They would bring it to the to the tabernacle or to the to the what they call the outer courts it was a place of worship the temple they will bring it there now what did the temple look like some people just think is this like you know inside a place with big ceiling no literally when you walk into the temple the outer court i, I used to have a picture of that thing i could show you 
I'll probably send a picture to the group chat. You enter to the, to the outer courts, you see a bunch of priests with their own altars. So that's the picture. Different points of you bringing your animal to. So it's like, oh, the priest will ask you, what have you come here for? Ah, priest, I have sinned. And here is my sacrifice. So what will happen? The priest will say, place your hand on this ram. And that's symbolically saying all your sins are being transferred to this animal. So they will place their hand on that ram. In fact, there's another sacrifice where they will bring two. One of them will be allowed to run scot-free. But that's it. we'll probably deal with that next week if you are still here to join us. Please don't miss Bible studies. It's about to get very beautiful. We are rounding up the book of Rome. Um, and so, but normally you bring that animal, you place your hand on it, be, yeah, scapegoats. You put, that's where they got scapegoats from, by the way. But let's leave that. You put your hand on the animal, you offer the sacrifice. And what does the priest do? The priest inspects it to see if it is spotless because it's important it is spotless. Then he will kill that animal. Now, notice it, the animal came in alive. Hence, living sacrifice. But there's another aspect of living sacrifice I'll discuss. Brings that animal, slaughters it, drains the blood, because that blood is going to be sprinkled, which has another significance. But the, the rest of the goat or whatever, the animal, will be placed on the, on the altar. They will start a fire. And literally, just like when they are doing barbecue and you'll be smelling it and you're like, hmm, so beautiful. The people there would see the animal being killed and understand symbolically that their sins are being taken. So the, the, the aroma, that's why the Bible always talks about a sweet-smelling aroma or sweet-smelling savor going on to, up to God. So they will see it going up and they will be like, wow, God is accepting my sacrifice. Now, we come to the New Testament in Hebrews. And Hebrews tells us those sacrifices, God did not delight in them. Sacrifices and offerings for sins, I have no delight. But a body as that prepared for me. So Jesus was the ultimate picture of God's plan in, sacrifice, in this sacrifice. This whole thing was all about showing how we need to pay for our sins and someone has to replace us. So that goat or that ram without blemish was actually pointing to Christ who was without sin. You know, beautiful stuff. But when this scripture says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, he's saying... Not only are you coming to the altar alive, but you will stay alive. So it's the picture of sacrifice that literally that goat cannot do anything. Once you bring that goat there, they tie the hand. It cannot run away. You know, it has the ability to, but it's a, it's a sacrifice. So it, 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 it has no will of its own. It is, it is there. And so that's the picture Paul is painting. That based on the mercies of God... Present yourself as a living, you are alive, but you are a sacrifice. Your life is completely acceptable to God, it's given to Him. Like, He does what He wants with your life. You are no longer the controller and ruler and CEO of your life. You know, a lot of people have that out there. You're the CEO of your life, you're the ruler of your decisions, blah, blah, blah. And there's truth to that. Like, be, be responsible, make choices, be wise. But the idea that you are the only one, the sole proprietor of your life, is faulty. That's not biblical. I think my camera went off. Let me just switch up real quick. That's not biblical. The idea God has for his creation and those who are in Christ 
is to be surrendered to his will. All right, to be surrendered to his will. Let me see if you guys can. Can you guys still see me? All right, we'll manage this. So when he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, this is your response to what he has done, the mercies of God. So beautiful. It's the least we can do. It's the least we can do, really. So he says, what kind of living sacrifice are you to be? Holy and acceptable to God. Meaning, holy, I don't want to go into that whole teaching now, but we've done a whole series on the, holy, on the doctrine of holiness in the teaching titled Holy, Holy, Holy. Go listen to it on our podcast. Um, but really, holiness just means being set apart for a cause. So literally, that sacrifice is now you being set apart for God's purposes. It is acceptable to God, which is the sim- symbolic reference to sweet-smelling silver that they would see, going the smoke going to God, and they'd be like, oh, it's, God is accepting it. That's literally what your life should look like. And he ends it with, which is your reasonable service? It is the only reasonable thing to do. Praise God. That's so powerful. Let me read this again in the NLT. And you're going to see, it's the same thing he's saying, but I think this just simplifies it. And so, dear brothers and sisters, Romans 12, 1, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. That's everything we saw in Romans 1 all the way to 11. And he says, let them be a living and holy sacrifice. So stay alive. We're not killing you, all right, in in the sense of killing a ram. You are alive, but you are still a sacrifice. And we know what that means. If you're a living sacrifice, you have a tendency to want to run away. But it's like, no, don't do that. Be a sacrifice. And the kind that he will find acceptable. There's a life to follow this. And then he says, this is truly the way to worship him. So someone sees this and says, okay, so how do I do this, right? I want to present my body as a living sacrifice to God. I'm sure that all 10 people listening to me are thinking the same. How? The Bible tells us in verse 2 or begins to tell us because the whole of Romans 12 is actually the answer to that question. But here's the summary. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be like this world, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Notice he doesn't say by the renewing of your actions. He doesn't say by the renewing of your, um, I don't know, whatever. But he, what he says is clearly your mind. Why? Because the battlefield is there. The battlefield between knowing these things that God has done for you, the mercies of God, on one hand, and on the other hand, the doing and the fulfilling of being an acceptable sacrifice to God, the battlefield is in the middle. So, in a sense, the middle right there is the mind, is the renewing of the mind. That has to happen. And um, I think this is such a great place to round up because uh, the world is not going easy on us, guys. The world is not going easy on us. Like, the world is giving us definitions that are contrary to God's word. The world is giving us a different idea of what we should do. In fact, a lot of Christians are focused on, focusing on the actions that they are missing what matters, right? They are, they are focusing on the actions and they are not trying to fix the mind. Here's how it works. If you find an inconsistency in your life, in any area of your life, if it is laziness, if it is um, addiction to anything, if it is just, just a 
anything in your life that just doesn't align with God's idea, it's a mind problem. It's a mind problem, right? It's a, it's what you've done with your mind. So the whole idea is don't try to be a Christian by just doing, doing, doing. Always emphasize. And that's why we take Bible study seriously because a lot of Christians just want to come and do die by fire prayers and wake up in the morning and do all these fire prayers. And prayer does work. But if you lack knowledge, you will find yourself going in circles. Have you not wondered, like, the Christianity in Nigeria, for example, almost everyone is a Christian, almost, right? Everybody is doing something, going to one prayer altar or the other. But yet nothing is changing. Yeah, you just ask yourself, like, what's going on? Like, why are these people the most prayerful yet their lives are so inconsistently messed up? Like, it's, it's just a mess. What Their lives don't look like what they, they preach or pray about. And this is it. This is the secret. Paul is saying, don't be conformed to the world's way of doing things. Don't allow them to define gender for you. Don't let the world define what marriage is to you. Don't don't even let the world define what is attractive or what is not attractive. Let God's word renew your mind. The, the secret is if you want to be pleasing, acceptable to God, that's where to start from. That's where to focus. And that's what he's going to go on doing for the rest of his teaching. Just going to establish boldly and confidently. Hey, there's one way here. Don't try to make it your own way. Do it the way he wants you to do it, which is to focus on renewing the mind, meaning there is an active transformation of your thoughts, your thinking. You should be asking yourself, how am I thinking about this subject? What does God's word have to say about it on any subject whatsoever? That's how we ought to live. And he ends it by saying, so that you may prove what is that good, because there is meant to be evidence to what you believe. When you put your mind to work, it produces results in your actions. I'm telling you, like, that's one thing I've seen in my life. The more I'm focused on knowing about God and growing in my knowledge of him, it has a way it spills out into your life. So do it that way. Don't do it in reverse, right? So that you will prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's just one way of saying there is a perfect will of God. And if you allow God to transform your mind by renewing it in the word of God, you will be in the perfect will. Hallelujah. Glory to God. What a, what a marvelous teaching from God's word. Now we're going to the didactic aspects of Paul's ministry. The first part was just more like, or let me say we're going to the pragmatic aspect, the practical things to do. What we've learned so far is the what God has done. All right. So don't be missing next week. All right. Um, show up. Let's continue in our study of God's word. Hallelujah. Um, I'll pray and then I'll take one or two questions if that's fine with anyone. So one or two questions. Let me pray real quick. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, who thank you for your great mercies, your wondrous mercy that, that don't end. They just, they are new every morning. We've seen how new every morning they are with the Jews, with the Gentiles. Um, you have been consistent in your mercy. You've shown the world your mercy. And Lord, we just thank you for that. And because you have shown us mercy, we'll respond. We'll respond with honor, worship, presenting ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. And for anyone who is listening, who is struggling with this, you know, just seeing inconsistencies in their lives, let it become even clear to them what they have to do. 
that they must spend time in your word, in just in your presence, meditating on you, on your goodness and your kindness. Because when we see the mercies of God, they stir us into living the life that you would have us live. So help us reassess our priorities. Help us focus on what matters. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Glory to God. That was that was such a great time. I was edified myself. Um, I hope you were. So does anyone have a question? I'm going to still leave for announcements, but if there's any question, let me take that question, comment, anybody. All right. I think there's no question. That is one of two things. I did a very terrible job or I did a very good job. It's one of if I did a very terrible job, it's like, where do I start from? <laughs> I can't ask any question. If I did a good job, then it's like, you answered everything. Thank you. Um, I want to admonish you guys. Um, can to I just study. ask a quick question? Yeah, so yeah please, quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you might have already touched on this, but um, I think you started off when you said, um, you know, God usually has to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I know I struggled with this when I read the book of Romans 11, mm-hmm. which was... Maybe it's a mind thing as well. So I'm just going to ask my question anyway. How do you help someone see that God is not biased to the Jews? You know, especially when one feels like, well, I, I feel like an afterthought, you know? Yeah. Like, okay, because they did not believe then. It's like, okay, I might, you know, you know, then go to the Gentile, <laughs> Gentiles, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, how, how do you help someone who's yeah someone feel like look you are a part of the plan yeah, or you yeah. were or a part of the plan yeah and you're not an afterthought that, you know yeah just how do you help with that that's such a good question so i think the first place to start is prophecy and the, that i don't have enough time to go into all the details here but prophecy is one powerful tool in scripture to tell you that from time immemorial it was always god's plan for all of mankind every tribe ethnic group nation and tongue to bow the knee to god to love him to cherish him a part of him because all of creation came from adam and if god created a garden and wanted man to experience god's goodness then if adam was not a jew that already tells us god already had a plan for all his creation but adam messed up and brought decay and death to all creation literally messing up everything god has created or bringing it to a downward spiral So what does God do? In his wisdom, he starts with a nation. But that nation that he started with, think about it this way. God will always work with a group of people. So the ideal situation would have been that he starts with the Jews and the Jews are receiving him and they are enjoying his love. And it's like, now, you Jews that I've started with, now, in a sense, procreate, if that makes sense, with the gospel of Jesus, right? Preach the gospel and tell everyone everywhere, to repent, and to come into this new life. But the Jews rejected. But because God had already started working with them, is God going to abandon them altogether? Which is the question Paul has been trying to address in Romans 9, 10, and 11. But he says, God forbid, no, God will not mess up his plan that he has started. It will be completed. So what God could have done, and I addressed this earlier, would have just been if they accepted fully, you need to realize the Jews killed the prophets too. Not only Jesus, they killed the prophets. Everyone God sent to them to warn them, to bring them back, to show them his love. They killed them. And then Jesus came and they killed Jesus. So God had every reason to just abandon them. But God wanted to save the Gentiles as well. 
all right? And he had to start with the people he had. He didn't just, he could have completely done it differently, but he's God. So he chooses who he wants to, which is the whole idea of Romans. But then when he chooses Israel, he says, you guys are rebelling. You are supposed to be the ones to send the message to the Gentiles as well, to let them know that, in fact, read Isaiah 60. You'll see what I'm describing. There's a part there that talks about God will make you a light to the Gentiles. That was God's plan. Prophetically, Jews were supposed to spread God's goodness to the world, to everyone, and then everyone will be restored as a... But the people God wanted to use were not hard-hearted. What would God do? God can... His plan must still come to pass. God still wants to save the Gentiles. So he will use their rebellion to bring about the salvation of the Gentiles. So he's using what they've given him, basically, the tools their irresponsibility and, you know, um, rejection of the, tr- of the gospel to bring salvation to everyone. And ultimately, to show that God's plan is still ultimately to save everyone, Israel will still be saved. So they will, by, sp- by getting the Gentiles saved, the Jews themselves will see and be jealous, which is what, I don't know how it happens. God is all wise. I don't know how it's going to play out, but we are still seeing it in motion. And so, God ultimately would have the Jews and the Gentiles saved. And um, last thing I would say is, it's not only b- the book of Romans that explains this, um, this concept. We see it in Ephesians. We are once far off, but God has brought us nigh by the blood of Christ. That's the Jews. Um, the Gentiles were once far off, we were brought near by the blood of Christ. Um, Colossians says the same thing. That God bro- broke the middle wall of partition with Jesus. So to show you God's love, he used one unifying person, Jesus, to bring Jews and Gentiles together. But where would Jesus come from? He has to be a man, a human being. So that's already a choice in itself. God has to start with it for that Messiah to come. He could have chosen Nigeria, could have chosen China, but he chose Israel. Does that make sense? So, Thank you. Yeah, that's where it all plays from. Do you have any follow-up question? No, 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 no. I just wanted to say thank you so much. I really appreciate that you like zoomed out mm-hmm. and it just occurred to me that, you know, just zooming out and even taking it back all the way to Adam and like God even made um, salvation available mm-hmm. from the beginning of time. So like seeing it that way just changed everything for me. Okay. Yes. It, yes. Awesome. It, 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 it did help. Thank you so much. Awesome. My pleasure. That was an awesome meal. Thank you for joining us as we study the Word of God. If you would like to join the actual World Dinner Sessions live on Fridays, you can visit the link page. It's always on Fridays, 9pm West African time. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at bmg.global and see you when next it's dinner time. <laughs>